It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study welcome into the virtual bible study this is the virtual bible study for april 1st 2010 we're not lying it is the virtual bible study no joke no joke. It's, it's April 1st, and we're telling the truth. And we're telling the truth. And we're glad you're on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, good to be with you. Good to be with you. Looking forward to a good discussion. We look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. At the beginning of the program, we'll go ahead and take a minute to tell you about the, who brings you this program. The College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee, brings you the virtual Bible study every week. And we hope that you will check out the College View Church of Christ. If you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, the best way for you to find out more is to come and visit with us. Visit us anytime, any of our services, Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, Sunday for Bible study, Sunday morning worship at 10 o'clock, Sunday. No, 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 you're 9.30 9.30, I'm sorry, 9.30 and 10, and, 10 yeah. and uh, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. And then midweek uh, study at uh, so Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Uh, we would encourage you to come uh, to any of those services. If you're not in the Columbia, Tennessee area, you can find out more about the College of Church of Christ, what we believe, what we practice, by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. If you have any questions about what we believe, we would encourage you to contact us anytime via email or over the phone. So our contact info- information is there. We're just waiting for you to contact us. So just u- use that contact information. You can call us. You can email us. Tonight, for participation in the Bible study, you can join in. Uh, the chat room, uh, Jacob, the information is scrolling there on the screen. The chat room is up tonight, and the listeners are filing in there and ready to talk with you. So I see John in uh, Edmond, Oklahoma. I see Sharon in South Carolina and uh, another listener out there. There's a couple listeners out there as well, I believe, from maybe from Arkansas. Okay, so we've got people from all over the country joining in, and we want you to participate too. So. Call us, toll-free, 877-381-4567. Email us, questions at collegeview.com. Get in the chat room. Uh, right now, the moderation is not turned off, and therefore, in order to get in there and make comments, you have to get a, a, an account. It's real easy, and it's free, uh, and you can use that. You can use it. You can use that login once you get an account. You can use that login every week on our program to participate in the discussion in the chat room. And Jacob, uh, John, and Oklahoma has a internet broadcast on Tuesday nights. You can use the same login. Get in his chat room on Tuesday night and study. That's right, and uh, we do the same. And uh, John's uh, Bible study is the Scriptural Way Bible uh, study, the Scriptural Way broadcast. And it I can think be found. it's. I think the the website. And John, you can correct us if I'm wrong. It's scripturalway.org, not the just scripturalway.org. Right. You're correct. Scripturalway.org. Thir- Tuesday night, seven thirty. Seven thirty p.m. Uh, so but you, if you get a log into the chat room, you can use it in his chat room as well and, and participate uh, on that Tuesday night study. And, uh, and they do a good job out there in Oklahoma, and we appreciate them supporting our program as well. All right. Uh, Mike in Illinois is on, and uh, we see Jack in Hampshire, Tennessee. So it's filling up in the chat room. If you're not in the chat room tonight, uh, follow the instructions on your screen to join in the chat room. We're going to have an interesting discussion tonight, Dad, about, uh, well, you, you can introduce the subject. Well, I called it Forbidden Expressions. Uh, or forbidden speech. The Bible talks about some things we're not supposed to say, the kind of things that that should not be on the lips of Christians, those who are pleasing, trying to please God with their lives. And we want to talk about some of them tonight. Uh, earlier today to our update list, we sent out some questions, as we always do. You can get on our update list by sending us an email, questions at collegeview.com. Put me on the list. And, and every Thursday during the day, we'll tell you what we're going to talk about that night. To that list earlier today, I said, since it is April Fool's Day, Jacob, let's talk about, you know, there, there is that statement in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, about calling someone a fool. And Jesus put certain prohibition on that. And so I asked the question, is it wrong for us to ever use the word fool in reference to another person, referencing Matthew 5, 22? We want to talk about that. We kind of thought we'd use April Fool's Day as a springboard to, to get into that discussion. Number two 
What verse or verses would you use to condemn the idea of taking God's name in vain? Jacob, that is really a common thing. It seems like everybody does that. People who aren't religious at all, people who don't fear God or have any love for God at all, use his name all the time. I can understand that. I can understand it when... uh, I don't know. I mean, I think even atheists must use his name. I mean, why why would you use God's name if you're when they're surprised, when they're upset, when whenever something happens, they want to take God's name? I can understand it. It's a demeaning thing. And so if someone doesn't believe in God or doesn't respect God enough to do his will, I can understand that. But what I can't understand is when someone who claims to be a Christian... Claims to love and honor God would use his name in vain. We'll talk about that. We don't want to use all our soap right now. But But, but here's the question we're asking. Okay, so you're a person like me and Jacob who does not use that expression. We think the Bible would tell us not to. What argument, what verses would you use to establish a scriptural argument? In other words, you've got this person and they frequently use God's name in vain. What argumentation would you use to tell them not to do that? We're going to talk about that second. Number three, what about euphemisms? I think, Jacob, in the past we've probably talked some about euphemisms. We'll talk more about euphemisms, euphemisms, and I I think probably most of our listeners know what we're talking about there. Uh, How should we view that, and how would you argue for or against using euphemisms? And then finally, and uh, we may or may not get to this if it depends on how our discussion goes, there's a question about taking judicial oaths. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Jesus uh, said that we are to, to swear not in Matthew chapter, what is that, Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse, verse 34, That's I think. correct. And then also it's repeated in James 5, verse 12, to not swear. Some of us, I have been in this position, and I'm sure some of our listeners have been in this position, you'd go to a court of law, and you're going to take the witness stand, and they ask you to swear an oath. You're going to tell us why you were there? I, I wasn't under any charge. Oh, okay. But I did have to give testimony in a case, and they they asked me to take an oath. Well, how, what should I do? And I, I, I'm really interested to get some of our listener feedback on that. So those are the four questions we want to ask and answer. Uh, look to the Bible for the answers. And if you may think of some others that you can add in there. We're going to talk about using the word fool, uh, taking God's name in vain, euphemisms, and judicial oaths. Those are those are the four. We'll go at them in, the, in that order. It's forbidden speech tonight, and I hope we have not killed any chances of anyone calling us tonight for fear that they might use some of that forbidden speech. We would encourage you to call us, 877-381-4567. The phone line is open. It's toll-free. We pay the bill. Give us a call if you'd rather send an email to questions at collegeview.com or if you're in the chat room. We'll monitor that tonight, and hopefully we can get your comments incorporated into the program if you'll join in with other listeners in the chat room tonight. We're looking forward to hearing from you. We appreciate you being on the virtual Bible study. We hope you'll stay tuned throughout the hour. Well, we have start out with April Fool's Day. And is it, you know, some probably would even have a conscience against saying it's April Fool's Day. Well, the the verse that's in question is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, beginning verse 21. Jesus said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. I remember that verse from the time I was a little boy, Jacob, and I was taught, I think most who are listening were probably taught, do not use that word fool. Don't ever dare call someone a fool. Now, I understand that. I, li- I still live by that rule. I think it's a good rule to live by. I'm not going to do that. I don't feel comfortable doing that. But you, I won't do that. But you do it at certain times. Well, we use other words. You stupid idiot or you moron. Right. But it's not fool. And so do I Do I salve my conscience by saying I didn't use the word fool. I might have called him a stupid moron, but I didn't call him a fool. And therefore, I'm, I'm clear, free and clear on that. What about that? All right. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. What do you think? Can we call someone a fool? Uh, let us know your thoughts tonight. We're looking to hear from you. Uh, John in Edmond, Oklahoma, has, says he has the same feelings about it. He said it was wrong to call someone a fool when he, when he was raised up. He said, I heard the preacher's daughter uh, uh, call someone a fool, and I was shocked. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so he was raised the same way. But I wanted to let you know. I call people fools. You call people fools. I think you probably do it publicly in the pulpit. When uh, we read the scriptures. Sure. And the scriptures call people fools all the time. And uh, Psalm 14, verse 1, 
Uh, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so would it be wrong for me when I see someone who says there is no God, would it be wrong for me to say, thou fool? Yeah. Well, uh, again, I, I'm, I'm hoping that our listeners will jump in and some of you in the chat room get busy here giving us your thanks shows on this. Again, I, I want to attest to the fact that I do not use that word. I have, to my knowledge, I have never used the word in my own conversation. I've read the scriptures, obviously, and and applied the scriptures. Right. But you've never, out of a reaction to what if I done. if I got cut off in traffic, for instance, I wouldn't. I just would not say, "You fool." Okay. But I have said, and it's probably not right either. But I have said, "You stupid idiot." Okay. Uh, and I don't think that's any better. I think we're I think we're deceiving ourselves if we imagine that we are somehow free and clear. No, you just can't say fool, but you can say anything else. Right. Uh, go back to the text. I think the text has got to give us the answer. Notice Jesus didn't say if you're angry without if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you will be judged. And whosoever will say to his brother Reka will go to the council. The council will punish him. And whosoever shall say thou fool will go to hell. He didn't say that. But he did say you'll be in danger of judgment. You'll be in danger of the council. You'll be in danger of hellfire. And I believe what Jesus is saying there is that if I am willing to use that kind of dismissive language, that's sort of uh, uh, calculated uh, disgust for someone else, then probably it's revealing an attitude of heart that's going to cause me to do other things that will be sinful. And the attitude itself can be sinful as well. That would prompt you to say that. Uh, He uses the word reka there. Whoever says reka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell, fire. The Greek word there for fool is the Greek word moros. I think we see the root there for moron. Um, and the the word tra- definition of the word means someone who is dull or stupid, uh, uh, someone who is, and the definition here, Strong even uses the word blockhead. And I think probably if people have used the word blockhead. Now, that's for fool? That's for the word fool. And uh, my understanding is that the word reka in that verse means empty-headed. Yeah. Uh, literally means one who's empty-headed. Mm-hmm, that's correct. And, and so... I, my thinking on the verse is, and again, I'm not, I'm not going to use that word fool, and I need to work at not calling people stupid as well. And my grandchildren say that's a bad word, and, I, and it is. I shouldn't use it. What's the problem is if I use those words, when I use those words, it reveals an attitude in me that then will put me in danger. As you say, the attitude itself can be wrong, but the attitude can also lead me to do other things that would be sinful. And so I'm putting myself in danger if I allow myself to have that kind of a of a contemptuous attitude toward others. Shows a lack of love. Shows a lot of pride, too, if I'm willing to say, you know, you don't have nearly as many brain cells as I do and uh, uh, things like that. So we need to be careful about the way we speak. Uh-huh. Jared in the chat room references Luke 12:20. God said to the man, the rich farmer, thou fool, this night... Thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? God called someone a fool. Therefore, it cannot be intrinsically wrong to call right. someone a fool. Right. Uh, of course, God is a perfect judge of hearts, and we're not. And that, that would make it, that that would make His assessment flawless. Ours is not flawless. We need to be careful. All right. But it, it can't be intrinsically wrong if God does it. It can't be intrinsically wrong for us to do it. All right. And, uh, so we've got to be careful. You know, you just need to check our attitude. What are we? What kind of attitude are we conveying when we talk about someone the way that we talk about them? I heard someone today say uh, that uh, someone didn't have two brain cells to rub together. And while that may sound funny and cute, how, what kind of attitude does that display? And what kind of thoughts does that li- uh, cause the person we're talking to? to have in their heart towards someone. We've got to be careful about our attitude towards others. Right. I think that's the key there, and that's how I would address the question of fool. Again, I don't use that word. I, I just can't bring myself to use that word. But I believe the proper understanding of the context there in Matthew 5.22 is that Jesus was teaching. In other words, the, the, the Jews had said, you're in trouble if you kill someone. Jesus said, I'm telling you, you're in trouble if you have wrong attitudes toward people. Jesus just raising the bar, setting a higher standard there, as he did all through that section in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what he was doing there. He was tell, he was actually not addressing a specific word so much as he was addressing 
the attitude of heart that would cause a person to say that word. All right, and because out of the heart uh, proceed our actions, and so we've got to be careful of that. Uh, Mike in Illinois says, my mom always said, if you can't say anything good about someone, don't say anything. And so right. Mike uh, has uh, heeded that warning, and we all need to heed that warning. Exactly right. All right, we'll take a break and get uh, a break out of the way, and when we come back, we'll continue the discussion up next, God's name in vain. What do you think the scriptures teach? And how do you argue? Really that's the question. You give us some help in the chat room. Give us a telephone call or an email. What biblical line of argumentation are you going to offer? If you've got somebody that's around, that you're around quite often and they're using God's name in vain all the time, how are you going to tell them it's wrong and how are you going to substantiate that from Scripture? And that, This is interesting because we make a lot of arguments and say you, you can't use the Old Testament for your justification. And yet, I think when uh, people who make that argument talk about using God's name in vain, the first place they go is to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20. Where do you ma- how do you make your argument? Yeah, do you have to go to Exodus 20 to make it, or can you go somewhere else? Those in the chat room tonight, join in the discussion. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. Welcome back into the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about forbidden speech. What do you think uh, some things that we need to avoid in our speech are? We've talked about uh, to calling each other uh, fools. And, and Jack uh, in Hampshire, Tennessee, adds one more note by email. I believe we should be careful for every word we say. Matthew twelve thirty six says, I tell you that men... W- will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Uh, so he says, why use words like fool? My respect is for a man who uses less words and shows more control. I think it's a good point, Jack. Thanks. Certainly so. Uh, we appreciate that thought. 877-381-4567. Question at questions at collegeview.com. We are asking the question. We've got a few more comments on fool to take, but we're asking the question about God's name in vain. If you have not chimed in, please do. How do you show someone that they should not use God's name in vain? It's a huge problem in our society. It's a huge problem among Christians. How do you show people that it's wrong? Let us know your thoughts. And on the subject of uh, calling someone a fool, uh, John in Oklahoma says, God describes the behavior of a person. Could we say that a person is behaving like a fool? Yeah, I believe that. I believe that would be. I, I think that's acceptable. But I, I would go further, like you said, Jacob. I believe you could identify someone a fool as a fool if you use the Bible as your as the standard. Sure. The, I, the man I, who says there is no, the Psalm fourteen one, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. So if a man says there is no there is no God, I'd say that's you're a fool. Or but if you want to tone it down, you can say you're you're speaking like a fool. A fool okay. says that. Whatever. Uh, but but I, again, I, I believe you could do that. Uh, and it's, but, but it's not a contemptuous thing. That's, a, ri- that's a righteous judgment. Well, it's a righteous judgment, and it's a constructive saying rather than a, as Mike says here. Mike says, question to consider if we call someone a fool or belittle in any other way. Are we helping to build that person up or helping him to grow? Certainly not. Our objective as Christians needs to be encouraging everyone 
to grow. We want everyone around us uh, to to prosper and be in a right relationship with God. And uh, when we say thou fool, we're instead running them down and uh, and have no uh, concern for their well-being. All right. Now, let's go uh, to this question. What verse or verses would you use to condemn taking God's name in vain? We all are around people who do that. They take God's name directly in vain. Uh, they use the name of God. Or, you know, I've, and as you said, Jacob, I've known Christians who were not careful about this at all. They, Absolutely. they would say, oh, dear Lord or oh, Lord or Lordy or something of that nature, which right. is the same thing. Uh, and so I want to tell them, don't do that. How am I going to justify it? Now, Jack in, in Hampshire has suggested the Old Testament instruction from Deuteronomy 5.11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. But here's, here's the question, and you suggested this before the break, Jacob. That's Old Testament instruction, and we understand the value of, of studying the Old Testament but that's not our law. Someone could quibble and say that's not our law. And just last week we were talking about uh, instrumental music, and we, we said over and over again, you can't use the Old Testament for your justification because if you're going to go back to the Old Testament for that, you're going to be bound to do the whole law. And so if uh, and, and, and that means not necessarily things that give you liberty, but also things that can restrict uh, the circumcision uh, that they were binding in Galatians chapter 5 was something that was a restrictive thing. And yet, even if they're going to go back there for that restriction, they were going to have to keep the whole law. So if you're going to go back to the Old Testament for the restriction, you can't use God's name in vain. You're going to have to keep the old law as well. So where do we go in the New Testament to show that it's wrong? We're looking forward to hearing from you. Join in the chat room. Send us a verse uh, in the chat room or give us a call, better yet, 877-381-4567. I think if I was going to go to the New Testament, Jacob, I would have to go to any and all passages in the New Testament to suggest the idea of, holding God in high reverence and respect, mm-hmm. to, have a, to have a fear and, a, and a, uh, an, an awesome honor uh, to his personhood. And, and passages like Philippians chapter 2, for instance, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, wherefore God also hath, let's talk about Jesus, God hath highly exalted him, Jesus, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's just one example. You can multiply the verses that talk about the greatness of God and the greatness of Jesus Christ. And there's just so many such statements in the New Testament. I, I think if, I, if, if I've got to go to the New Testament to establish my practice, and I do, then I think in the New Testament we'd have to make an argument from passages like that. Revelation chapter 19 verse 5 says, A voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. We're to praise God. And part of that reverence, as you said, that praise is that we hold his name uh, reverent, and uh, we are uh, careful about the way that we speak about him. That's right. And... and uh, um you suggested something interesting there in Revelation. And when you see that throne scene uh, around the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, both God the Father and Jesus the Son being glorified and honored there, that's the attitude that we need to possess. That is not demonstrated when we take God's name callously and loosely and in vain. Sure. When we use the name of our Lord. And, you know, it's not just limited, as we said, to God's name. Jesus Christ's name I mean, and I think that's typically considered even a more crude or rude expression when somebody's mad or upset or surprised or shocked to use the name Jesus Christ as a as an expression to denote that emotion. Uh, I think that's considered to be particularly rude and crude. Uh, we just shouldn't do that. Uh, and and I think we've got, if we're going to argue it from the New Testament, the basis of that argument has to be on the fact that. All of the New Testament example is is to hold him in high regard and honor. Absolutely. Mike in Illinois submits a Re- Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And verse 29 gives us the reason why we need to serve God with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, we are dealing with a God who needs to be revered. That's right. And uh, and. And in the chat room, Jack mentions, he says, often in texting and in our social media today, people use three letters to represent their feelings of astonishment as a matter of brevity, I'm sure. 
And I know what he's talking about. He's talking about that. You see that all the time in text messages. OMG. Yep. You know, and there, and it means, oh my God, that's what they're, that's what those letters are standing he's segueing for. Segueing into our next yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk more about it, and that would be Jack a euphemism, uh, and we'll talk about it. But I, uh, people do that, and they've abbreviated even, uh, you know, with to, to be able to get it out there quicker and faster. He says, but what are they saying? They are using our Creator's name as if it were a salt shaker, no reverence whatsoever. I think you're exactly right, Jack, and that's and that's what we need to be on guard about. All right. If you have a verse that you believe shows us we should not use God's name in vain, let us know. 877-381-4567. Send an email. Questions at collegeview.com. All right. So, I again, we're around this all the time. And and by the way, in particular, when when some of our own brothers and sisters in Christ are guilty of that, uh, we we need to speak up and say that is not right. That is not showing God the reverence that's due His name. It is another example of how our media is rubbing off on us today. I think because you turn on the uh, the radio, you watch television, you cannot see anyone surprised, excited, scared. Shocked, disappointed, mad, mad, without using God's name in vain. And we hear it constantly throughout the day, every day, and we begin to think the way that we hear, and uh, and we begin to speak the way that we think, and uh, we just see it coming out of people's lips. And 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 there there is a a word of warning that's that we should all pay heed to. I I remember one time when I was a, a college student, I had a summer job on a construction crew. And the boss of that crew, who was an excellent carpenter, was also the most proficient cursor I ever was around. I mean, he he used every word in the book, and, and he used them continuously. I mean, this sounds like an exaggeration, but I don't think it is. It seems that he could not construct one single sentence without a cuss word. He would uh, curse his mother if he wished her when he was wishing her a happy birthday. Probably so. Yeah. The problem with that, being around that all summer, was by the end of the summer... Those words were in my mind, and I had to really battle to keep from using the words that I'd heard him use all summer. If I smashed my thumb with the hammer, I was tempted to say the kind of thing that he would say under that predicament. And and as Christians, when we're constantly around it, when we constantly allow ourselves to be exposed to that, then we are opening up that danger that that, that becomes in our thinking and actions as well. All right. Uh, we have a, a comment from the chat room, K Price 811 in the chat room. Uh, says, I recognize we are under the new covenant, but Paul says it was written in earlier times. Uh, th- that which was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, Romans 15, verse 4. So I would not be afraid of using the Old Testament. He makes a good point. Yeah, I, believe, yeah. I assume it's a heat, but uh, it's a good point. That's a good point. There is, there, there is for our learning, and it does establish principles. It doesn't establish our law. It establishes the principle that God needs to be revered. Okay, and, and, and you could argue it this way, and I, I think Kay Price is exactly right. You could argue it this way. If it was so that God did not want his name used in vain and said so plainly in the Old Testament law, what's changed? Well, he hasn't changed his nature and and our relative relationship to him. Uh, you know, we are mortal humans. He's still the Almighty God. What would be different that would allow us to do what he told them not to? In other words, uh, you know, if that's what he desired and how he expected himself to be respected in that time, there there shouldn't that that shouldn't change based upon what our law is per se. I'm just talking about our, 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 our the, relationship, the, to the respect that he, that he desired. You'd, you'd want to say, what's changed about that? Why, why wouldn't we be expected to show the same kind of respect? Today? Same guy. You know, we make the same kind of argument, for instance, about tithing. We say tithing is an old Testament law. We're not bound by it in the new Testament, but we can sure learn by the tithing principle of the old Testament. If they, under that system were expected to give 10% of their income, why would we expect to give any less than that? Right. Now, we're not saying that we can bind it from that Old Testament law, but we're saying we sure can learn from that Old Testament example. And I think Kay Price is right about it. Hebrews uh, uses Old Testament example and people with their relationship to God for showing us how we ought to relate to God today as well. Certainly, we're under a different covenant, as uh, we understand, and the laws are different. But our relationship to God and uh, his nature has not changed. And so good comments. All right. All right. Let's uh, let's take a break. Uh, all right. Let's go to a break. We're going to when we come back, we're going to. Uh, and Jack already sort of led us in the direction of the question of euf- euphemisms. We'll go to that question. 
How should we view the use of euphemisms when we come back from this break? Can we use uh, expressions that are not actually the Lord's name, but indicate that we are using his name in vain? Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at College After U. these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Daily, we receive promises that are contingent upon certain conditions. The grocery store, for instance, offers us a great price on laundry soap or soda pop, but the fine print reads, one item per customer with coupon. The gas station sign reads, free car wash, but looking closer, we see that it says, with $10 minimum purchase. At the bank, we're offered a no-service charge checking account, but we must maintain a minimum balance. Conditional statements are common in our everyday affairs. The Bible contains many wonderful promises. They are made by a loving and just God who cannot lie, Hebrews 6, verse 18. Some of his promises are unconditional. That is, they will be kept regardless of what we do. For instance, after the flood, God said, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease, Genesis 8:22. No matter what we do, that promise will be kept. Here's another. Romans 14:12 says every one of us shall give account of himself to God. The coming judgment therefore is unconditional. You don't have to do anything. It's going to happen. But other promises of God are conditioned upon our own deeds. Romans 10:9 says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Notice the important little word if. That word shows the conditionality of the promise. God will do his part if we will do ours. We should also note that repentance and baptism are additional conditions of salvation. See Acts 2.38. And so you can trust that when God makes a promise, it will be kept. But also realize that you need to be sure you're doing your part for those conditional promises of God. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study yeah, continues. And welcome back into the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're a part of it. We're looking forward to your comments as we talk about forbidden speech, but don't be afraid about calling 877-381-4567. We're looking forward to hearing from you or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. All right. Um, we're asking the question now about euphemisms. And when we speak of euphemisms, what we're talking about there is uh, what's considered to be an inoffensive expression that's substituted for one that's considered to be offensive. You don't know any. Well, for sake of teaching, I mean, I, I just hesitate to ever even say them, but for sake of teaching, we'll say, for instance, as an example, we just talked about taking God's name in vain. Mm -hmm. and, and, of course, people who don't care say things like, oh, my God. Well, I can't say God's name in vain. Like, I know better than that. I've been taught better than that. So I say, oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Is that any better or different? That's the question we're asking because that's where those things came up. And there's a whole host of them. I mean, all across the board, words that, you know, our mama would have washed our mouth out for saying. And so people invented close uh, words that got you by with the expression without having to say the bad word. Right. And that's what that's what we mean by a euphemism. I think everybody understands that. And I think that probably everybody who's listening tonight uh, w agrees that there's just not much difference there. And it's something that if we're going to be careful about our words, we need to we need to avoid that. All in other words, if someone who's using a euphemism is actually, I suppose, saying, I want to be careful not to say that bad word. Yeah. Well, if you're going to be that careful, be more careful and don't say anything that even comes close to that. All right. What it is, is it's the message that you're conveying, not necessarily the words that you're using. For example, uh, uh, 10 or 15 years ago, if you had told, said some, uh, something was sick, if you saw something and said, that's sick, 
you would get an idea of something disgusting in your in your mind, right? Or something that uh, is distasteful. Today, kids say that's sick when it's something's cool or it's it's pretty extreme. Yeah, I haven't got used to that yet because okay. still, when that's, I hear that, I think that well, what do they mean? Something wrong with it? And then I realize when you take them to the hospital or something. <laughs> yeah. All right, but now if you were to say to a young person today, that's sick. Using your old thinking about it being something grotesque, they would think it's cool. So what what meaning have you conveyed to them? What thought have you conveyed to them? You conveyed to them that you think something is sick, that something is good, right? It's what you're, it's not what the words that you're using, but it's the thought that you're conveying. Same with the euphemism. If I say something, it doesn't matter what words I use to convey that thought. If it if you get the thought across, exactly, then you've done that. that. That's what Sharon said in the chat room. Just because we substitute a word for another doesn't change what we mean or what's in our heart. And Jack adds, both are offensive. It's not any better or different. Uh, and... Uh, he said, Jack adds, a, a phrase I kept posting on my computer screen for the longest time read, profanity is the effort of a weak mind to express itself forcefully. Uh, I uh, think that's exactly right. We have, we have a friend uh, who used to be a member here at College U. He's moved since, uh, and many who are listening know Otis. And, I, and Otis listens regularly to virtual Bible study. So I use Otis, if you're listening, and I use you as an example. Otis was not a Christian, and he was in the Navy, and he said he cussed all the time. He literally cussed like a sailor. He was a sailor, and he cussed like one. And uh, he said a guy approached him and said, I just don't think that you are smart enough or know enough about the English language to be able to speak without using those kind of words. And it it shocked Otis and kind of challenged him. He said he's never spoken a cuss word since. Mm. But, but, the, but the point of that is you can choose not to do that. Sure. And and you can choose to stop using cuss words and you can choose to stop using euphemisms. And it's just a matter of exercising your will. And if if we're determined to be careful about our speech, to set a right example before other people, then this ought to be something that, you know, there's a lot of challenges in life. To me, that seems like a pretty easy challenge to to achieve. We don't have to talk that way. All right. And we're talk, we talk about you're using euphemisms for God's name, but there are certainly euphemisms that are profane. And uh, and should not be said as well that convey uh, imagery and uh, and uh, messages of a sexual tone or of uh, of other profane things that we need to be careful about. Uh, euphemisms are not just limited to God's name. Exactly right. Um, it's suggested that if we have the right attitude of heart, uh, euphemisms reflect the opposite of the kind of attitude of heart that Paul described in Ephesians four thirty one beginning. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. If we if we develop the right attitude of heart, we're not going to want to be using those kinds of expressions. They need to be something that as Christians we just put away. All right. And maybe uh, someone says, you know, I didn't mean that by that. I didn't mean anything by that statement. Uh, that's just a phrase that I use. Everyone uses it. I didn't mean anything by it. What about that? Does it matter what you meant if you use the phrase? Well, I think that we agree that words change meaning over time. And there's a possibility of that, that something could just be at this point have reached the point of not even. In other words, if someone asked you about some word that you use in normal conversation and said, do you know where that word came from? And I'd say, no, I don't know. Well, that came from a vulgar. Originally, that was a vulgar expression. Well, if it is so far removed from that now that people don't associate it with with that, then that may, uh, you know, you might say that's that's. An, but but I want to tell you, if that was so, and somebody pointed it out to me, I'd just make it a point not to use it. I'd never use it for him because he'd know what I was talking about. Right, right. And and certainly, just because you don't mean it the way that someone might interpret it, you need to be careful about how they're going to receive the words that you say. I remember one time years ago, I used an expression in a sermon. An expression I'd heard all my life. I had no idea where it came from. After the service, an older man in the congregation came to me and said, do you know what you just said? Yeah. And I said, no, what? And he told me, I said, well, what's wrong with that? And then he explained where that expression had originated, and it was awful. I've never used that expression again. I I don't know that, that very many people connect those two dots, 
But for any who do, I don't want to be guilty of saying that. I'm just not going to say that anymore. All right. 877-381-4567. What do you think? Do you think we're wrong? Do you think that we've got it wrong? Let us know your thoughts or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Along that line, Kay Price in the chat room has added, as stated language changes, does today's society, as stated language changes, does today's society recognize the words being used as substitutes as offensive? Uh, in, in other words, he's asking the question, or he or she. I'm not sure who K. Price is. K. K. Price, you might identify Just yourself. Say, he or a she. He or she. <laughs> maybe tells where you're from. But uh, um, in other words, if if I, if I said, "Gosh," d- does that convey a negative meaning to people other than those of us who are Christians who make a point not to use euphemism? In other words, with a person out on the street here, would he be alarmed if he knew that I said that word? Or, or some other word uh, along the line. I, I don't know, but I just think being careful in speech w- would cause us to not even take that chance. All right, there's your answer. It's a he from Detroit, Michigan. All so right, we're glad great. that uh, he's out there. And right. We're glad we can say he's out there because right. now. So thank you for, for that. Um, and, and, and John adds, most would not be offended by that. Uh, and Mike adds, probably be alarmed for a preacher to say it. But again, I'm, I'm just I'm just saying that's such an easy thing. I don't have to use those expressions. I'm going to avoid that. I, I just don't take that out of the out of the picture. Certainly, and, and one uh, way that uh, we see this thing portrayed in the lives of people, is there's some common, vulgar, profane phrase that people say, and people think it sounds neat, and so that but they want to use that phrase, but they don't want to be guilty of using the actual word that's offensive. So what they do is they use a word that sounds like that, that rhymes with it. So they can say that phrase. What do you think about that? Well, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. I, I, again, I think as Christians, we're not wanting to see how close to the world we can get. We're trying to stay clear of that. And and we are we will be known by our speech, by our language. It will it will oh, be sorry. an identifying characteristic of the people of God. So we've got to be extra careful. Uh, in Ephesians 4, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That, that, to me, is a pretty strong statement saying, use wholesome language. Don't don't come close to crossing the line with euphemism. All right. I like in Matthew chapter 26, verse 73. It's a little bit of a stretch here, but not too much. In Matthew chapter 23 or uh, 26, verse 73, as Peter is betraying Christ, and they're trying to determine if Peter had been with them, uh, they said in uh, verse 73 of Matthew 26, And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee, or betrayeth thee, now, not necessarily what Peter was talking about. I think probably referring to his accent here. But it tells us that people are listening to what we say. If I, use, say if I use coarse, uh, maybe not necessarily vulgar language, but if I use coarse speech, then that, that betrays something about my heart. And if I'm, wanting to, if I'm wanting to set a right example for others, I'm going to do that. We've probably beaten that horse to death and beyond. But well, but it's important because it's important people question. are listening. And we think, we think we don't have any influence. We don't think people are paying attention. People are listening to what we say. They are learning about us and what we're about by the way that we talk. And we got to use some care and concern and some thought about what we're saying because people are listening and it's making a difference. Uh, Mike in the chat room says, when in doubt, stay out. Good rule. Uh, Sharon says she's even heard preachers use these euphemisms in the pulpit, and surely they didn't realize what they were doing. Uh, uh, she also says she heard a preacher say, let's be honest for a minute. <laughs> and she said she hated that. Yeah, let's be honest all the time. Or to tell you the truth. Yeah. You know, what are you telling me all the other times? All yeah. right, good things, sir. Okay, we'll take a break and we'll go to the top of the hour after We're this. We're going to look at this question when we get back about judicial oaths. What should a Christian do when he's expected to... Uh, Swear to an oath, maybe in a court of law, that sort of thing. Let's talk about it when we get back. All right, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Get in now. Be ready to go when we get back right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? 
You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and guide the family around the computer each Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. Missed a recent Virtual Bible Study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the Virtual Bible Study. Welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're looking forward to hearing from you and the remainder of the program as we talk about forbidden speech. A couple of verses that we need to throw in in the chat room tonight. Yeah, go ahead, Jacob. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, uh, Kay Price in Michigan has uh, put in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. And let me pull that up. I should have had it up already. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, that talks about our speech. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving thanks. And so we need to be careful about the things that we speak, the, the, the language that we use. And John has suggested Colossians 3, verse 8, which says, uh, uh, put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. So plenty of verses along that line that we need to use. And a pretty good quote Mike's got in the chat room from George Washington. George Washington said, quote, the foolish and wicked wicked practice of profane cursing and swearing is a vice so low that every person of sense and character detests and despises it. Pretty good. Right. Uh, just cleaning up a little bit of business here from on our email, Jacob. Some have come in, and, and uh, I think our email has been running slow. Carol in North Alabama writes, this is about taking God's name in vain. Even though we're not under the old law, have any of God's moral laws changed? Wouldn't taking his name in vain be a moral law? So she's suggesting that that principle still stands. Well, uh, you've got to be careful about making a distinction in moral law versus ceremonial law in the Old Testament. But uh, What we the, usually argue is that the moral laws are repeated in the New Testament, like sure. thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our, our problem, as we were discussing, is, is that one about taking God's name in vain is not verbatim repeated in the New Testament. But I think the principle stands, as we argued. And then, Jack, as uh, uh, let's not forget about what's in our mind. We must... Control not only what comes from our mouth, but what we think. I know I've thought things I shouldn't think and kept this thought from coming out of my mouth. I was guilty nonetheless. I Doesn't thought, wrong. I thought the wrong thought. That's so right. I, good point, Jack. Yeah, Jesus condemned the people's hearts because uh, uh, it directs what we say. And so we've got to get our hearts clean. Our friend Alan Florida writes uh, concerning euphemisms from Matthew twelve thirty seven: for by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Words means that words mean things. They are vehicles which convey ideas. After preaching a sermon on euphemisms, some of the hearers were simply amazed when they learned the dictionary meanings of commonly used euphemism. Just look them up. You'll be amazed. I'll suggest good, uh, good thought. Al, did you call them out in your sermon? Uh, that uh, that would be good. I think it takes I mean, it may a little more nerve than I than I would have. Uh, and, and, and then I think in, in respect to God's name, holding God's name in respect, he cites Philippians 2, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth. Uh, Philippians 2, 10. Since God the Father is superior to Christ, so God's name is sure just as worthy as Christ is, so God's nature remains from eternity worthy of extreme reverence. And I think that's exactly right. Yeah, there's several well. preachers online tonight, and maybe a good question for for the preachers is how do you how do you talk about things like this? Al mentions maybe he's 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 enumerated them in the sermon. How, 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 what's the best way to deal with yeah, this? Yeah, that, that's you, always giving you... me a little problem because I don't like to say them. And I don't, yeah. I don't, I mean, I've said, uh, you know, a, a couple of euphemisms here by just way of, of explanation tonight, and I don't like to say them even to explain what we're talking about. So that's a little, it makes it a little hard to teach on it. Yeah. So maybe you've got some suggestions you could share with us. We'd appreciate that. Uh, John has a good comment uh, on the idea of using God's name in vain. He said, in Jesus' prayer, he said, Oh, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And certainly God's name isn't hallowed on the streets of America today. 
as we use it uh, very flippantly. Okay. All right, we've got just a few minutes left. Let's, let's, let's go to the question, and I don't know if we can give a good definitive answer on this, Jacob. I, I think you and I approach it a little bit differently. What about the question of taking oaths? And you know the oath, I mean, from kids we recited what they say in, the, in a court of law. Uh, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Okay. You know, that's, that's the old thing, you know, the bailiff says, you know, put your hand on the Bible, put your left hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, repeat after me. Uh, uh, can we, should we, uh, you know, is it proper to take, and those are called judicial oaths, by the way. Uh, and there are a couple of pretty plain statements in the scripture, Jacob. One of them is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus said, um, uh, let your community, see, um, well, let's back all the way up to verse 33, Matthew 5, 33. Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform thine unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say to you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by the head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. And then add to that James 5, verse 12. Go ahead. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath. Let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest you fall into condemnation. All right. Now, what about those expressions? Well, again, I, I'm, I'm not real comfortable with that. And any time that I'm not comfortable with something, you know, even to the point of, of judicial oaths. And so I'm, I'm certainly not going to encourage people to do it. I'm going to definitely advise people that they got to honor their conscience in that. If you have any question at all in your heart as to the propriety of that, I definitely would say don't do it. But here, Jacob, I'm, I'm going to, and, and I'm, I want to hear your saying, say so, and I want to hear what some of in our chat room and callers and emailers would say. Here's the little bit of dilemma that I think that, that we're faced with. I find in the scriptures some expressions by inspired men that were, that were in fact, equivalent to what we're asked to say in a judicial oath. Uh, uh, for instance, let, let me just give you, for instance, in Romans chapter 1, verse 9, in Romans 1, verse 9, Paul said, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. God is my witness. If he could say that by inspiration, could I say, God is my witness, I'm telling you the truth. You know, it, I think you could say, I mean, Paul said it. Yeah, and and uh, and there, I've got a, uh, several of them, that, and all of them, by the way, are from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Second Corinthians one twenty three. Second Corinthians one twenty three. Let me get over there. It's going to say, "Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul, that to spare you I came not as yet into Corinth." Well, that sounds pretty similar to the idea of you know making. A, a, well, he's saying God. A, God agrees with what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I got, I'm not going to read all these. I got Philippians 1, 8, Galatians 1, 20, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 5, all similar expressions to those that we just mentioned. Now, I, I read something today on the Internet that I thought was an interesting, and I'm just going to throw this out as one more, and then let's talk about whether or not we can or should do this. When Jesus was on trial, the high priest said, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God, Matthew 26, 63. The word adjure, he said, I adjure you by the living God. The word adjure translates uh, from the Greek a word which means, quote, to extract an oath, to force an oath. That's according to Thayer. Caiaphas basically put the Lord under oath, hoping he would incriminate himself. And Jesus honestly replied, you have said. And A.T. Robertson in Word pictures of the New Testament said this is a Greek affirmative reply. So basically, he said, I, I put you under an oath. I put you under oath before God to tell me the truth. Are you the son of God? And Jesus said, I am. Now, would that would that be equivalent to someone says, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? And you say, I do. I think now, it's a stretch. Okay, you, go, go, ahead, go ahead. I, I just I think that's a stretch. I don't think Jesus is saying anything other than you said 
that I'm the son of God. I mean, I, I don't think he's I don't think he's uh, given any comment to any of the other statement that he made there. Okay. Uh, now there's another there's one more one more flying ointment here. You know, some people take some comfort. In some courts of law, and I've heard this in some courts of law where they say, do you swear or affirm to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so I hope you got. And I, I'm personally not convinced that to affirm gets you out of the dilemma uh, of an oath. I mean, it's not just the word swear, the English word swear that makes it wrong. It, it, swear and affirm mean the same thing. They're actually synonyms. If you look up one, it'll use the other as the definition of that one. And so I don't think you get around the, the dilemma by using the word affirm rather than swear. It's not the word, English word swear that's the problem. It is the oath itself that is the problem. All right. But, okay. Uh, and we have a couple verses in the chat room that are referenced. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 and 16. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Uh, for men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. I, I see the point. Uh, I disagree. I don't. I God can do some things that we can't do. God can exact vengeance. God can do some things that it's, it's not appropriate for men to do. So is it just because it may be appropriate for God to, to make an oath doesn't necessarily mean it's okay for us to make an oath. And I'm not saying I'm not saying it's wrong for us necessarily just just yet. I'm just saying just because God did it doesn't mean that we can do it. Um, And then verse 16 is speaking of men in the world, I think, because it's saying uh, for men verily swear by the greater and for an oath for confirmation is them in the end of all strife. I think they're doing in verse 16 what Jesus condemned back in Matthew chapter 5 in Hebrews chapter 6. Okay. Uh, He's speaking about the way that men make oaths today. Well, there was a problem with the oath-taking and oath-making uh, among the Jews. And I got to believe that Jesus was addressing that in Matthew 5. I know he was in Matthew 23. He he said in Matthew 23, verse 17, ye fools and blind. Uh, oh, let's back up. Uh, verse 16. He said, woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold of the temple, the gold of the temple that sanctifieth the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Um, it appears that Jesus here, certainly in Matthew 23, was addressing this goofy sort of code system that the Jews had. You had to know their code words to know whether you could believe what they were saying was true or not. Okay. And Jesus was definitely condemning that. Sure, sure. Uh, but but his his response to that, uh, his, the answer to that problem is just don't is not just be honest. It is don't well, swear. Well, certainly we're to be honest, but, right. uh, the, the, but does that? But Jesus could have just said, just be honest. If you're going to say that, just make sure you do it. But he, he, the, the, the answer to it was, swear not at all. So I have trouble going to the extreme to say, well, it's okay to swear just as long as you perform it because that's what Jesus was. Jesus said, just don't swear at all. So. Yeah, I'm, I, and, and I'm disappointed that we haven't, I, haven't, I haven't gotten much help here from you all in the, in the chat room. Now you need to jump in here. We're just about out of time. In fact, we practically are out of time. We may need to visit this thing again. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm in a dilemma about this. I don't really have a very good answer. My, my dilemma, and, we'll, and let's, let's leave this one hanging, Jacob, for a, a future consideration. Everybody can study on it. Some maybe we'll revisit this. Those expressions by Paul. Again, and I think by Jesus Christ himself while he was in the flesh as a man, but especially the ones that were made by the Apostle Paul, and I want to read the list of them again, which seem real similar to the kind of expressions we're expected to make if, if we're to take an oath in a court of law. Romans 1, nine, Second Corinthians one twenty three, Philippians 1.8, Galatians 1.20, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 5. Um, uh, again, I'm not com- I'm not comfortable with that, and I'm not encouraging anybody to break uh, to to violate their conscience in such matter. I just I just don't have a good I just don't have a good reconciliation of those differences. And uh, we're getting a last minute phone call here. Maybe we can. Uh, well, we're out of time. It's it's time to yeah. quit. Yeah. Um, let uh, let me. Uh, you 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 make the claim, but again, we talked about it earlier today. You don't you wouldn't feel comfortable walking around and say I swear I'm telling the truth. No, I don't and, do that. Yeah. I, I just don't so. Do 
so again, we, we've got we've got some more con- lines and connections to make, and maybe you do as well. So if you got any thoughts, uh, send them in. We'd like to hear from you uh, anytime. Uh, send us your your thoughts over email or give us a call. Well, and and, and we got another question in the chat room. We can't do pledging allegiance to the flag. That's another one we can talk need to talk about too. Okay, all, all right. right. Lots of things to talk about still. That's why we hopefully, Lord willing, we'll be back here next week on the virtual Bible study. Dad, good thoughts tonight. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jacob. And we appreciate you being out there. We hope that you benefited from our study tonight. We look forward to you being back here next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.